Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got a Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. On today's episode, I talked to David Way. David is a Taoist. He went to China, specifically Wudang, where he studied Kung Fu. He is a very wise guy, very awesome person to have on the show. I'm really grateful that we had this conversation. I've been a martial artist for the greater part of my life so this stuff means a lot to me bruce lee the Tao of jeet kune do the Tao di ching these were all pivotal books to my growth as a human being so i hope you enjoy this conversation with david way and uh thanks for listening to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast please go to www.myfamilythinksomecrazy.com or www.patreon.com slash mftic and support the show you can send us a one-time donation through our website on uh, paypal Come, coming soon we'll have uh, bitcoin you can pay us with a bitcoin payment or you can subscribe monthly and get exclusive content like a special episode with Micah Dank. Yeah, that's right. And a Patreon-only episode with Micah Dank himself. So look forward to that, folks, and uh, enjoy this conversation with David Way. Very simple. Move, massage, meditate. We went to the mountain to be left alone. We didn't go on the soapbox to say, come one, come all. We just did our thing. And then the people that have a resonance to it will naturally find us on their own board. And so to answer your question, how do I teach my family? I don't. I just live and I practice. And, you know, maybe a couple years when it's just a hobby, you know, they, oh, David's doing that weird shit, right? But then after five, 10 years, and I've grown and I've evolved, they're like, oh shit, maybe there's something to it. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. With me on the podcast today, 
very wise soul, someone who's trained in an art that is near and dear to my heart. It is martial arts, right? Yeah. Warlike arts. But what you'll find when you train martial arts is that war is probably the farthest thing from your mind, right? And I think David will elaborate and illuminate on that. It's an honor to have you here, David. Please tell us where we can find you right off the bat. Where can the listeners find you and get in touch with you before we get started here? Uh, how about don't? <laughs> don't find me. <laughs> yeah. All right. No plugs. I'm to be a dad. Like, don't look for me. I, I, I don't Just sharing your wisdom. Look for him on the Zero podcast where he shared some wisdom with uh, Sam and enjoy the conversation we're about to have, I guess. All right. Let's get back into the moment. David, how are you today? Man, I am so blessed. I woke up in a comfortable bed with a roof over my head. I got plumbing. I got electricity. I got you on my computer. Can't go wrong. All right. So for those who don't know, I've been a martial artist since I was 14 years old. The neighborhood I grew up in was, I don't want to say rough, but it definitely wasn't functional. And that led to me getting into some scuffles, some fights in school, And ultimately, what I realized was that I needed to learn how to defend myself. And I didn't realize that what I was doing was changing my life. You know, at that time, I just thought I was avoiding getting beaten up, you know. But what martial arts offered me was so much self-improvement, self-development. My confidence just rose through the roof. So martial arts has done so much for me in my life. David, what has martial arts done for you? Where, when did martial arts first? And, and before we get too far, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about your background and, and what you do. For sure. Yeah. The short of it, born and raised in Richmond, California. Also, maybe not the, what you word, what word you use, functional? Not so functional. <laughs> Was a, it was a dangerous place to grow up in. And so uh, that's my background. I went to college at the University of Hawaii, if you could call that education. Uh, and then I taught special ed for a number of years. And from there, I moved to China. I lived as a monk for five years. And since then, I traveled the world. I taught all over the world. And now I'm settled back in the California Bay Area where I'm married, I'm about to have a child, and I've been teaching martial arts for the last 10 years here. Awesome. So when you say you're you're growing up in a rough area, and I remember you mentioned some of that when you had a great conversation with Sam. That's why I reached out to you because it really touched my heart. You know, martial arts is, like I said, really close to me. After I learned martial arts and started training, it was about three or four years into it when my Sifu asked me to help him with the classes so I started teaching to the younger ones and that's kind of where I found my voice you know I I realized like oh wow I'm pretty good at like conveying these physical movements into a verbal language that people understand and from there I realized that one of my gifts was speaking you know And, and and that's kind of expounded into what I'm doing now but you know what when did martial arts first come into your life? 
Well, I got introduced early on as any kid growing up in the 80s, you know, karate kid, Daniel-san, Mr. Miyagi. And so I remember wanting to learn karate. And I was like, mom, 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 let me learn karate. And she said, no, you're Chinese. So you're going to learn Kung Fu. And I was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> and so she pulled me in a Kung Fu class and I was bummed. You know, I want to learn karate. I want to be the karate kid. And so I started with my martial training early, early, early. But if anything, it was more like babysitting or, you know, after school activity. It wasn't, it wasn't legit training. At least I didn't take it seriously. I fell out of that, but then I did kind of gladiator arts, i.e. high school football. Okay. You know, you learn how to hit and be hit, and there's all kinds of agility and dexterity and speed and power training there. And so it absolutely translates. Uh, but I didn't begin my official martial path to where I chose a teacher, and more importantly, the teacher chose me. I didn't start that until I was in college in Hawaii. And Hawaii being kind of the middle place between America and Asia, it's just a melting pot. You get all the Japanese arts, you get all the Filipino arts, you get uh, Western boxing, you get uh, Chinese martial art, you get the whole gamut. It's just such a melting pot of systems there. And so I was fortunate enough to really get a strong foundation from training in Hawaii. Wow. Yeah, and it, you know, people tend to think karate is the Japanese art form, but there's so many beautiful variations of martial arts that come from Japan. But Kung Fu as well, I mean, it's not as simple as just, you know, mantis style or tiger style. There are so many different regions of china that have added to this you know huge huge dichotomy of martial arts you know i remember one of the in most interesting books that really hit me when i was a kid was this book called way of the warrior and it was published by uh, dk publishing and they did like a global you know region by region look at each martial arts from each region really like completely changed my mind to what martial arts could be because at that same time i was learning from bruce lee right this this book i have right in front of me the tao of jeet kune do i bought this book and that you know that's this was my handbook to martial arts you know so and one of the things bruce lee really emphasizes is hey take whatever works from you for you from any style that you see you know so you're in Hawaii, you're in this melting pot of martial arts. What was the first class you did? What was like the first sparring session you had? The first class I did was, it was called Shen uh, Gong, Spirit Mind Skill. And my teacher, uh, his name is Bruce Chu. And he kind of had a mixed plate family system where, you know, being such a melting pot, there were elements of Wing Chun, there were elements of Muay Thai, there were elements of Bagua, there were elements of Choi Le Fuet. And he just kind of, in that same way, took everything that worked and put it all together. 
And the training we did that was really attractive to me, it was high stress training. So to say, you know, you can spar, you can do uh, like mechanical drills and application drills, but relatively we're safe inside the dojo. Like we know the teacher's not gonna hurt us. We know our buddy's not gonna hurt us. And so my teacher said that when you train in a safe environment, when real life scenarios come, all of that goes out the window. And you might do like this in class, but you'll do like this in a real fight. And so he always emphasized high stress. And so we would do things with an arm behind our back, pressed against a wall, in close quarters, multiple attackers, in a stairway, blindfolded. Being in Hawaii, we do things on the sand, on the gravel, on the water, knee high, waist high, chest high. He would just kind of throw us in different scenarios and try to up the stress level so that in the event of a real life scenario, we're comfortable in high stress versus someone who, okay, I can do this well and I'm happy. I'm like, all right, let's go get beers after. You know, when stress really comes, you can't thread a needle. You can't, you can't do fine motor things and you can't do common logical things under high stress. And so we would train under high stress so that in the event of high stress, we were comfortable. Yeah. So that's my training. It was really high stress and very kind of mercenary style. You know, you probably hear this a lot. My stuff is to kill, right? And so <laughs> it was like a lot of mercenary, like most efficient takedown, most efficient submission, most efficient stripping of weapons. It was kind of a no-nonsense kind of paramilitary special forces type training. And so it was really attractive to me early on. Yeah, that brings to mind a lot of the reasons why we emphasize sparring where I trained, you know, because you can do these katas and these poses and these forms, and that's important. That gets your muscles to kind of learn the right position in some sense, but you have to get past that. You have to be able to utilize that in a live scenario. And that was something that my Sifu stressed on us a lot. It's like sparring, sparring, sparring. You can do this roundhouse kick on the bag a thousand times, but unless you can land it on a moving target, I mean, think about it. Where are you going to roundhouse kick someone? Their leg, their hip, their chest? You know, it becomes a lot more complicated when you actually have to think about where you're going to throw this kick. You know, it's not as cool and as easy as in the movies, you know? I remember one of the things that really plagued me, not plagued because it was it was interesting, you know, when I was a wrestler and when I was training martial arts, I would have these dreams at night where I would be fighting. But because my muscles and my bones weren't actually doing anything, there was no feeling of hitting behind the like vision in my mind. So I the dream would always end up with me losing the fight because my brain logically would be like you're not hurting this person you're you're so you're throwing weak punches right now so i'd have these crazy dreams where i'd get in these fights and lose and it was really really stressful on me and what i ultimately realized is that your mind is the tool that needs to be sharpened here because your body 
is great. You're, you're fighting, you're punching, you're knocking the bag around, you're winning, sparring, but your mind is still defeating you every night when you go to sleep and lose all your confidence in these dreams. So, so how do you, how do you feel about the mind component? I mean, going through these high stress training scenarios, what did you learn about the mental connection through martial arts? Well, that's an interesting conversation because when I trained to fight, all I could see were targets. And so when I walked down the street, I observed the world as something to be conquered or something to be defended against. And so if I saw someone walking with a limp or if I saw somebody with a funky posture, immediately in my head, I would think, oh, okay, if they came at me, I would attack them there, right? And so I'd see their poor posture as weak points to attack. Later, as my view developed into one of healing, I no longer saw people as targets or I no longer saw things as weak spots. Instead, I saw the same things. Just now I'm like, oh, if you just stretched this way or if you just moved this way or if you changed your posture this way, you could alleviate that pain or that poor mechanic. And so I'm still looking at the same thing, uh, but the way my mind interpreted that data was different. And so that's one way that the way I view things determined the way I do things. And so, yeah, that's, that's one way I can answer your question. All right. Now, you mentioned that you went to China, you became a monk. When did this happen? I mean, you're in Hawaii. Did you go back to California first before you, you went off to China or did you go straight to China from Hawaii? Yeah. So, when I was in college, that's when I did that fighting system. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got proficient in it and I became a teacher in it. And when I went back to California after graduating, I was looking for a similar system and I couldn't find it. And uh, I was able to come across an old, old Shaolin master. His name is Wai Si Chang, peace be upon him. He passed a number of years ago. And I was able to get my foundation from him because sure I can fight, but I was overweight. I was a mouth breather. I had acne. I had poor lifestyle. I had poor habits. I didn't have the self of self-defense sorted. Sure. I had self-defense, but I didn't have self. So what am I even defending? Right. And so uh, that's where I got my habits straight. I got my foundation if you will, from another four or five years of Shaolin training. Uh, that's the time that I started doing body work. I started learning acupuncture, herbs, fasting, diet, nutrition. Because I realized I could break an arm 20 different ways. But once the arm's broken, I don't know how to set it. You know, I could hurt people. I could break people. But I don't know how to fix people. And so I shifted my view from fighting to healing. And uh, it didn't take long for me to realize it's the exact same shit. Pardon me for cursing. I'll probably curse a lot more. 
no, that's fine. Please let it rip. <laughs> For example, you know, movement like this, you know, simple, smooth movement could be used to block or could even be used to submit. But if I do this slow and with a loving smile, it could also be a gentle stretch and it could also, you know, help someone's arm uh, relieve frozen shoulder or tendonitis. Same movement, just different intention and different application. And so uh, it was really mind opening for me to bring it back to the mind, to see the same movement transform uh, just by how I approached it and how I chose to use it. Wow. So remind me again, this Shaolin monk's name, you found him in China. He gave you this basis, uh, this foundation and that's mm. when you had this kind of profound realization like, hey, I'm I'm really war. I'm putting the war part of martial arts into this, but now I need to put the art side of it back into this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what was his name? Yeah, so pardon me if, if I wasn't clear on it. Uh, I went to college in Hawaii. I came back to California where yeah, I did yeah. California training, where I taught special ed. And it was from there that I went to China and trained with the monks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so in China, I went to Wudang Mountain. Maybe you've heard of Wu-Tang Clan. They're nothing to fuck with. And so that's where they got their name from. Wudang, okay. sacred Taoist mountain in China. And so I got there because I did the fighting. I did the healing. And I realized it was the same shit. So then I figured maybe I should go explore the spiritual. And so that's why I went to go monk out in Wudang in the temples. Uh, to be clear on that, though, I say I was a monk for sake of conversation. It's just like it sounds nice and it flows. And I did live and train in a temple. Uh, but it was nothing special. Uh, it was just a temple academy that anyone who took the time to file for a visa and pay the tuition, anyone could have gone. But what was special about it was the average person goes for a few weeks. Average person goes for a month or two. I chose to go for five years. Average person just learns from the monk. I chose to be a disciple. Average person might train four or five hours a day, which is no small feat. I chose to train nine, 10, sometimes 12 hours a day. So, and so let's get into that. So you're, you, you're in China and the average person would have left by now, but you're eight months in and you're, you're, you're used to, you know, you grew up in America. You at least kind of have the kind of American, maybe like, uh, you know, laziness, I guess. I don't want to put that on you. Maybe that's just me projecting, but was it, was it getting to you? Were you thinking like, oh, it'd be a lot easier to go live in America? Like, tell us, let us, uh, bring us into the, what it was like eight months in. Well, at first I only went for three months. Okay. And I saved up two years, every nickel and dime to afford to go to China for three months. Cause I was teaching special ed at the time. I was not making good money. I was living out of my mom's house. And so I was, I was a scrub. And so for me to save that money, it, it was a big endeavor. And I was only able to stay for three months initially. But in that three months, 
I was so touched and I was so inspired that I just had to go back and make it my lifestyle. I initially went thinking, we all know the narrative. Go to school, get a job, have a family, retire, die. Go to school, get a job, have a family, retire, die. We all know the narrative. And some of us are more successful than others. Uh, I chose to look for something else completely. And so when I found this temple environment, I was like, this is it. And only thing was it took me three, or excuse me, two years to train for three months. So when my two months were, or three months were over, I was so heartbroken. I was like, ah, oh, I got to train it, or work another two years to go for another three months. Like, how is this going to work? Uh, fortunately for me, I came home right in the time of fall. California just legalized medicinal marijuana. A friend of mine was working a farm. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to come trim. Money was really good. I was really good at it. I made $10,000 in two months. And that enabled me to go a whole nother year in China to just train. And so to get kind of get back to your question of what it felt like being immersed in it, uh, it was a fairy tale. It, it was a dream come true. It was, it was the other quality of life that I was looking for. Because I didn't want to go to work and have a family and retire and die. Like I knew that there was something more available to the human condition. And so when I found it in China, I, I was just overjoyed. And I was like, sign me up and stand for five years. I made a relationship with the teacher. Uh, I go back to work a month on the farms, but then I come back a whole nother year and just stay the whole time. And um, yeah, did it for five years. Wow, man. And the plant, the beautiful cannabis plant helps you do it. We just had an interview with Chris Bennett, a cannabis connoisseur and author who he's done a lot of great research to show like the ancient origins of cannabis. And we were getting into actually how like that central Asian area. It's a little off topic as someone who obviously appreciates the great green bud. Did you smoke in China? Was it available in China? Are the rumors true? Is it very hard to get? Is it super illegal? Uh, I did not smoke in China. No? But that's part of being a monk, right? I mean, you wanted to be as uh, sober as possible. Is that part of it? I mean, keeping uh, an aesthetic kind of lifestyle? Buddhist monk. Okay. For the Buddhist monks, yes, they shave their head, they're pious, you know, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't have sex. And uh -huh. Taoist monks. Not quite the case. <laughs> the hair grow, we have the long beards, we wear the flashy robes. Yeah, okay. We, we get drunk, we do poetry when we're drunk. Uh, it's Psychotropics was a big thing in the Taoist tradition. Um, the Taoists got down. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, all like the tantric bedroom arts and things like that. That's all Taoism. And so when I had a choice to go to Shaolin with the Buddhists or go to Wudang with the Taoists, I was like, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> Definitely. So even though, you know, we could, we could eat meat, we could drink, we could have sex, we could have families. Um, even though we could, uh, with regards to Mother Mary, I did not partake. When I worked on the farm, of course, you know, I smoked my face off. But when I was at the temple, uh, I just trained. 
Yeah, I just tried. And product was available. You know, you could get hash. You can get really low quality flour. But that was in Beijing. That was in Shanghai. I was on the mountain in the country. So it was nowhere to be found. And quite frankly, I didn't want to bring that to my school. I didn't want to put my teacher at risk. I really took my training seriously. Yeah. And so uh, I stayed away from the country when I was in China. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, you, you want to have as much focus as possible, right? And that might have given you a more of a loose kind of way of going about things. But, you know, one of the things that really struck me when I was first getting into pot, because I was really against it. It was martial arts first for me and then pot second. And at first I thought to myself, no, this is going to get away in the way of my wrestling. This is going to get in the way of my training. But then I saw guys like Eddie Bravo and I saw uh, articles online talking about how Bruce Lee would take these cannabis edibles before his training. So I'm like, oh, wait, this yeah. this might help. So he I did I, mushrooms. Bruce Lee did. Wow. Okay. Those acid stories are harder to come by. Do you, do you have any, any more details there? <laughs> um, I've been graced with a lot of old school practitioners and a lot of people from that generation. Here I am in the Bay area. Yeah. Know, yeah. Opened my school in Oakland and I was just blocks away from his Oakland school. And so, uh, Bruce Lee had tremendous influence on Bay Area martial arts. And, you know, you spend enough time training, the martial arts communities are tight knit and small. And so you kind of know everybody that does it. And then you meet a few masters and they're like, oh yeah, I dropped acid with him. Oh yeah, we smoke cash together. Oh yeah. And, that's uh, awesome. You get those stories. Yeah, that's awesome, man. A little, I'm a little far out over here on the East Coast. Maybe that didn't reach our martial arts community, but wow, yeah, that's that's good to know. I I definitely have taken so much inspiration from Bruce Lee. I mean, just the five movies. I've thought about maybe you might want to join me for this, but I've thought about doing like a philosophical analyst analysis of each movie because i really think that each bruce lee movie all five of them the sixth one not so much i mean he's only in it for the fight scenes but uh each movie has its own lesson you know like the first one's kind of about like the drug connection and what's going on with the drugs the second one's about like the japanese chinese relationship the third one's about you know this kind of uh feeling of being an immigrant you know and just being like really oppressed right because he goes to rome and there's this gang that oppresses his uncle's shop and he comes in as the hero uh the fourth one uh, uh, i'm forgetting and then the fifth one is enter the dragon which you know we all know is like the big conspiracy one because he's on this crazy fight island there's all this money laundering and i really think his five movies are worth analyzing for their kind of philosophical impact, you know, like they're really, he really, I don't know how much of his philosophy got into 
producing those movies, but you really feel like he was critiquing society with each movie, just based on the theme. And each time he plays this role as a hero. So my question to you is, do you believe in this kind of legend, this grandiose that goes around Bruce Lee with like the kind of legend of him being born the dragon? And there was this like mysterious event that went on when he was born at night. And, you know, what, what do you think about that? <laughs> He's just a man. I mean, Bruce Lee is to Kung Fu what Bob Marley is to reggae. You know, so it's like, you meet someone that knows reggae. It's like, oh, who's your favorite artist? Oh, I love Bob Marley. And it's like, okay, great. So, <laughs> country level, good job. And so, oh, I like Kung Fu movies. Who's your favorite? Oh, Bruce Lee. Okay, great. <laughs> country level. Um, you know, so for reggae, what about Ika Mouse? What, what about, um, you know, Lee Perry? What about, you know, all these... Gregory Isaacs, what about all these other people? Same thing with Kung Fu. It's like, what about Jackie Chan? What about Jet Li? What about Tony Jaa or somebody? We can go, you know, way, way deeper. And so Bruce Lee, you know, not to knock him and not to dismiss him in any way, because his influence is still continuing today. Like one could say that MMA was his birth child because he was one of the first ones, like you said, in Dao Ji Kung Do, like take it all. He was the first mixed martial artist. And then the influence of his films, uh, there's this new series that got released recently called Warriors that's on HBO. And that was a script written by Bruce Lee. And so even to this day, his view and his perspective influences the world. And so I don't want to knock him or dismiss him uh, in any way. And at the same time, you know, He's he's a gateway to a bigger, bigger world. Yeah, absolutely. The Tao Te Ching and the Tao of Jeet Kune Do were the gateway for me to a more spiritual lifestyle. I think at that young age, growing up on the East Coast with this kind of Roman Catholic kind of vibe, just kind of seeing all that and really being turned off, I became a little atheist and it was Bruce Lee, Pot, Taoism, that showed me that the, the nature that was surrounding me that I love so much was spirituality, you know? So Wu Dang, this is a spiritual mountain, you know? I don't know how much you know about ley lines and, and like uh, this kind of energy of the earth, but there are truly sacred places on the earth. Do you think that training in Wu Dan, Wu Dang, right? Am I saying that right? Wu Dang, do you think that had a, a different effect on you? You know, like uh, being in such a spiritual place with such a strong history and a long history too. For sure, for sure. You know, that's curious. I, I'm not sure if Wu Dang lines up with any ley lines, but it's absolutely one of the five sacred mountains of China. And with regards to martial arts, you have two premier spaces. You have Shaolin and you have Wu Dang. Uh, interesting though, Shaolin is Song San, Song Mountain. And it is one mountain. Wudang, 72 mountains. So it's a whole mountain range. And Wudang is to Taoism as uh, Mecca is to Islam, as Lhasa is to Tibet, as Sedona is to hippie white chicks. It's a pilgrimage point. 
for spiritual uh, pilgrims. And so uh, Wudang, yeah, it's the birthplace of Tai Chi, according to legend, uh, but it's not a dojo. Yeah, it's a birthplace of traditional Taoist medicine, but it's not a hospital. It's, it's a temple. It's, it's a mountain. It's, it's a spiritual epicenter. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's ley lines that converge there. Um, but absolutely to, to be there. I remember going, my mom is my Chinese heritage. I went there the first year I came back and I'm telling my mom and her friends what Wudang is like. And they're like, Wudang is real? We thought it was just a legend. That's, that's a real place? That was just a place in fairy tales. So it was almost like literally being in a Garden of Eden or you know, some sacred Shangri-La that even native Chinese people, they're like, hold on, that's a real place? And so uh, I felt very, very fortunate to have access to it and to have a continued relationship there. Like I still talk to my master. Uh, granted, there's no more formal instruction, but you know, we're still very, very close uh, connection. And had it not been for COVID this last year, I was ready to take a group of 30 people. You know, I was taking tour groups there and we were training there and I was taking them to all the sacred sites. And, um, you know, so I still am very, very much involved there. Uh, very fortunate. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one thing that recently on, on the Skeptico podcast, uh, David Whitehead was talking about, you know, this kind of real real push against martial arts and all these fitness not just martial arts but all these fit places where people go to get in shape are being shut down because of covid man it's a real bummer to hear that that has affected you and what you're doing because i know i would take a lot of value from having the opportunity to go to a sacred place especially being you know shown around by someone with your wisdom but yeah. How do you think we can adapt as martial artists in this new, you know, sphere? I mean, obviously podcasting has taken off because we can do it from our homes without any interaction, but, you know, martial arts, it requires all this contact. Uh, what do you think's going to happen, you know, with, with all these new restrictions? Um, I think it'll just evolve. Yeah. Uh, because it's more than just martial arts and contact sports. It's also churches and mosques and ashrams. Uh, it's, it's also, um, it's also uh, healing centers, chiropractic offices, massage parlors, uh, acupuncture centers, uh, therapy spaces, uh, even family gatherings, parks, restaurants, like literally not just health and wellness or fitness, but like every aspect of human connectivity, human growth, human evolution uh, is being hindered by this new normal circumstance that we're facing. Human connectivity, period, is, is almost a nothing. So the point where we're wearing masks, we can't see each other's face, we're six feet apart. Uh, we're scared of each other. Families are scared of families. Uh, neighbors are scared of neighbors. Uh, 
I think more than just fitness and martial arts, like damn near every aspect of human connection and growth and evolution has been thwarted. Uh, if anything, it just gives us an opportunity to turn in, right? And so quite frankly, that's where the deepest treasure is, right? Do all this traveling, all this learning, realize the treasure was with you all along, right? The alchemist, right? Pablo Coelho. And so in a way it's bad. And yet at the same time, it's our greatest opportunity. Yeah. No, I so. think there, there are a lot of opportunities in these uh, dark COVID times. I've been very hopeful that this is all going to pass soon. The, uh, the martial arts school that I attended when I was 16 until the age of 20, 23, 24, they closed down during COVID. So, you know, it was, it was disappointing to find that out, but I think things are changing. There is a push towards wellness in these alternative fringes that doesn't involve the allopathic medicine system. So when you're in Wudang, you're learning about Kung Fu, but you're also learning about healing. And that doesn't just come through Kung Fu. What, what did you learn about Tai Chi and, and acupuncture? Are there any things that we can take as just human beings and uh, use in our own daily lives? Any little practices that might help? Because I know one stretch that I've done for a long time since learning this from a Tai Chi guy that came through our school once is just this center, bring your energy from your center, bring your arms all the way up, gather it all up as you're breathing in, 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 and then as you exhale, you center it all down. And I don't know if that was just his thing or if that's like a real like Tai Chi move that you might be familiar with, but like, what are, what are some, some things we can take away from uh, this to, to build a better life, you know? Got it. Well, in my five years of the temple, I've literally witnessed thousands, uh, if not tens of thousands of people come through that little village, that little mountain community to learn how to improve themselves. And on one hand, my teacher was really, really busy you know, giving everyone individual instruction, but being so close to him and knowing how to speak Chinese and being familiar with the culture, I recognized that he was just doing the exact same thing for every single person. And it was a simple three-step protocol that I've now adopted and I transmit to my community as well. The three-step protocol, very simple, move, massage, meditate. Very, very simple. The principle is no matter what your pain, no matter what your disease, no matter what your dysfunction, I don't care what the diagnosis of your pathology is, the root of it is stagnation. Either something stopped moving or something stopped moving well. And if I have stagnation right here in the middle, on this side, I have excess, on this side, I have deficiency. And excess and deficiency only creates more stagnation. So it kind of steamrolls and snowballs into bigger complications and bigger pathologies. So stagnation in my shoulder today 
will show up as arthritis five years from now. Stagnation in my shoulder today will show up as lymphoma or lung cancer or heart disease 20 years from now. And so it's just stagnation that's left unchecked. And that could be physical stagnation for physical circumstances and ailments. It could be emotional stagnation, i.e. trauma or PTSD, where a thought, a belief, or an emotion, or a tragic incident is also stuck and is unable to move and process. And so literally, no matter what ails you, move, massage, meditate. And so it might look special. Oh, and for this person, this person, that you do something different. And that's just because they got different shit going on. And so if I have neck pain, I'm going to move, massage, meditate my neck. If I have back pain, I'm going to move, massage, meditate my back. If I have foot pain, I'm going to move, massage, meditate, whatever. Move, massage, meditate. So if I may go a little bit deeper within this protocol, move, massage, meditate, right? Each limb can only move so many ways, right? To bring it back to Bruce Lee, he was quoted as saying, until we grow an extra arm or an extra leg, human movement will always be human movement. And so your neck, for example, you have three general ranges of motion for your neck. Yes, no, I don't know, right? So you got round and round and all that, but there's only so many moves available. Thing is, if I move my neck, I move everything inside my neck too. So that speaks to my thyroid, which regulates my metabolism, my lymph, which promotes my immune function, my salivary glands, which promotes my digestion, my cerebral spinal fluid, which helps nourish my brain. Literally all these fluids in the neck also move because I can move my neck. And if I have a stiff neck or a frozen shoulder, what does that say about all the fluids in my lymph, my thymus, all these important movement or these important fluids that need to have mobility for me to experience health? And so with the conversation of circulation, good circulation, good health, that protocol of move is first and foremost, move the outside to move the inside. From there, you have move, and then you have massage. So after I move it a little bit, maybe I should massage it a little bit. I can polish it, I can pat it, I can squeeze and knead it, I can press it. Lots of ways to stimulate, which will only further the circulation. So I have move, I have massage. Last one is meditate. After I move something and massage something, maybe there's a new experience of something. Right? In the example of if I stub my toe, it's done in an instant, but I can feel the pain for 10 minutes. So if I move my neck and massage my neck, I'm done in an instant, but maybe there's still some residual sensation, some warmth, some alertness, some levity, a buzz or a tingle. Maybe I still feel something after moving and massaging. So taking the time to feel that benefit, meditation witness that benefit, observe that benefit, and watch it until it dissolves back to neutral. Meditation. So with anything that ails you, whatever pain, whatever discomfort, whatever limitation you have in your body, simply move, massage, meditate. Move for about a minute, 
massage for about two minutes, meditate for about three minutes. I mean, if you want to structure it in that way. And like any good shampoo, lather, rinse, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat. And in that way, that simple protocol, I've seen cancer reversed. I've seen diabetes reversed. I've seen baldness reversed. I've seen a trauma released. I've seen anxiety and panic attacks dropped. I've seen so many ailments reversed with a simple protocol of move a little bit, massage a little bit, and enjoy a little bit. It's really that simple. Yeah. So one thing that I really need to ask, because you know, the show's called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. You probably, know, what's that? Family thinks you're crazy, probably for good reason. <laughs> well, you know, when you get into these conspiracy theories, you know, I work for Sam. There's things that you just, you can't talk about with people. And it gets into personal things when you start getting into some of these health conspiracies, you know. So my question to you maybe is a little more benign than that, but how do you teach people closest to you this move, massage, meditate? I mean, does it just come naturally because they trust you and they know you've been to China, you've done the training and it's easy because they just trust you? Or is it a battle? Do you think there's some resistance? Like what, what, what's, what's it like when you try to help your family out with, with these kind of things? Uh, there's that old saying, the prophets never celebrated at home. <laughs> yeah, well, that should be the more uh, academic title of my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to bring it back to how we first started, you said, how do people find me? I said, don't. Yeah. Don't for me. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your sifu. I'm not your doctor. I'm not your healer. To tie that back into Taoism, Taoism is non-evangelical. We went to the mountain to be left alone. We didn't go on the soapbox to say, come one, come all, right? We just did our thing. And then the people that have a resonance to it will naturally find us on their own accord. And so to answer your question, how do I teach my family? I don't, I just live and I practice and you know maybe a couple years when it's just a hobby you know they, oh david's doing that weird shit right but then after five ten years and i've grown and i've evolved they're like oh shit maybe there's something to it and maybe 15 20 years and i can still do the splits and they can't even touch their toes they're like oh shit he's been onto something and then they come on their own accord and because they come on their own there's a genuine interest there's a genuine listening and they have a genuine uh, discipline around it and they do it for themselves. But otherwise, if I try and preach, 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 it only pushes them further away. And so I'm non-evangelical. Don't look for me, <laughs> don't seek me, I'm practicing. And so the people that resonate naturally come and naturally stick around, the people that don't resonate naturally leave and that's okay, because uh, I'm nobody's savior. There's no Jesus complex here. Everything's perfect as it is. Nothing needs to be fixed. Uh, and I'm not here to fix anything either. And so 
the people that come, come, the people that stay, stay, the people that leave, leave. And uh, I have no investment either way. Yeah. And you said it there, you know, it's so much more than leading by example, because what you said is that resonating, right? Because what you're doing is you're elevating your frequency and those who don't vibe at that high of a frequency, they can't hang. And eventually people get the good vibe. They feel the good vibe and they, they see that you're on to something. And then that becomes the bridge for them to vibrate at that higher frequency or their highest frequency. And we got to remember that everybody's on their own path, you know? So some might find this nirvana or this high point through Taoism or through whichever other practice or faith that they choose. But either way, what matters is that we're not pushing it on to others because the universe is free will, right? And that's kind of what we learn with Taoism is that nature expresses itself freely. And nature's will is love because when you look at nature, you see symbiosis. You see that the bird helps the tree by eating the flower and spreading its seed across the land so that tree can have more and more brothers, you know, and in turn that bird can have more and more brothers and sisters because there's more trees for it to to eat from. And I think as human beings, that's what we need to do. We need to plant these seeds of truth, love, and knowledge, and harmony, and the more seeds that get planted, the more opportunities there will be for others to harmonize with us, right? Yeah, and our family thinks we're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the case, my friend? You, you, your family thinks you're crazy? what they think when you're in China? Um, well, my... At first, my mom was stoked because she's like, oh, you're going to learn your roots. Oh, you're going for three months. Okay, great. Go explore. Get to know yourself. Then I was like, oh, you're still there. Oh, <laughs> when are you going to come home? You know, and then she's with her friends and her friends are like, oh, my son's a doctor. My son's a this. My son just got that. My son is a, my daughter's doing this. And then when it comes to ping, it's like, what's your son doing? Uh... He's doing kung fu. <laughs> he's, in a he's in a mountain, <laughs> that fairy tale mountain. <laughs> and so, and then even coming home, you know, sure, I got 11,000 hours in that temple, five years of training. And then even before that, I got 15 years previous experience before I even went. And sure, I got all this experience, but then I come back to the States. None of it's accredited. I got no certificate. I got nothing to show for it outside of kick-ass skill. But when I try and apply for a job here or try to start something there, I have no credentials. I have no paper trail. I have no resume. You know, all my proof is in the pudding. And so it took a really long time for my family to recognize the value of what I did. And especially from that non-evangelical standpoint, I didn't promote, I didn't advertise. I just went to the lake and did Tai Chi every day, every morning. And then the people that came, came, and the people that didn't come, didn't come. And if they paid, I ate much that day. And if they didn't pay, I fasted that day. And that's kind of how I did it to get my start. 
And granted, now we have an amazing community that grew organically. But when I was starting, my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> and even to this day, I'm like, don't look for me. Don't find me. My website sucks. I never respond. People are like, how do you do business? You got a kid coming. Like, how do you pay your bills? How do you feed? And it's like, ah, my values are just a little, my mind's a little bit different. Like, you know how you were talking about earlier in the conversation? I see the world different, I guess. Yeah, man. Well, amen to that. I, I love everything that's been said. I think that we really resonate and I think martial arts has benefited me so much. Clearly it's benefited you. I think that really you don't have anything to worry about, you know, because you're living in the moment, you're manifesting, you're creating these opportunities because you're you're living in harmony with who you really are. I mean, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, if we were to do a report card of success, and sure, someone may have more money, but maybe they don't have their health. Sure, someone may have a nice house, but they have a shitty relationship. Sure, someone has job security, but they hate their job. And so if there was a report card for life, uh, I'm healthy, I'm not stressed, I love what I do. I love my life. I love my wife. I love my community. I'm kind of getting straight A's across the board, at least from my standpoint. Uh, perhaps I'm not as successful or don't have as much savings or you know, not as lucrative as it could be relative to others. But with regards to my personal experience and my wife and my new coming child, we're good. And we have nothing but blessings. And so uh, I'm content with people looking at me funny and thinking I'm weird because I know inside and out I'm complete. That is exactly the positive message I want to send through this podcast. And because you don't want people to find you, I would say to all our listeners, please <laughs> look into your heart and mind and send David your blessings from the bottom of your soul. Send him your good energy because this man is sharing wisdom with us today and that's valuable. So send some value back his way with some positive energy. And uh, David, thank you so much, man. Do you have any final thoughts for our, our listeners to close this beautiful podcast off? Move, massage, meditate. <laughs> All right. All right. And with that, it's an episode of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Please go check out David on the Zero podcast because that was a great episode he did with uh, my boss, Sam Tripoli. Thanks for listening. You can find more content at MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com. So please go check it out. Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. I'm Don't listen crazy to him. for feeling so lonely. Follow us on Patreon.com slash MFTIC. That's Patreon.com slash MFTIC. Oh!